All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on Paul's letter to the Ephesians. In this session, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 14. And in this section, Paul makes really a very clear point. He says, essentially, you are light in the Lord, so you should live like it. Live who you are. It brings us back to that basic way that Christian living is expressed in the New Testament. Live who you are. Because of what God has done for us, we have a new identity, a brand new identity in Christ. And this new identity comes with new powers, powers to live differently. So we're supposed to embrace this new identity and begin to learn how to live out who God has made us, who God has made you and who God has made me. And so here in this section, that shows up very strongly as Paul works through the details of the section. He concludes by really stating our identity and calls us to live that out. To set this in its uh, total context here in the immediate section of Ephesians, in the last half of chapter 4, Paul reminded us that in Christ we've learned a new way of life, right? Like he said there in uh, verse 17 or so, that you did not learn Christ in this way. You've learned a whole new way of life in Christ. Therefore, Paul says, we need to put off the old and put on the new. And then he gave some specific examples of that. Lay aside falsehood, speak truth, get rid of stealing, and instead work to provide for yourself and meet the needs of others. Those kinds of things. He gave some examples. And then he called us to be kind and forgiving. And at the beginning of chapter 5, we said the chapter break is really unfortunate because the beginning of chapter 5 really goes with the end of chapter 4. So at the beginning of chapter 5, not only did he just call us to be kind and forgiving at the end of 4, at the beginning of 5, he said, and imitate God by walking in love. All of that then really is this larger context of learning to live out the new way of life that we now um, are called to live because of the new identity we have in Jesus. And so here in chapter 5, verse 3, Paul comes back to some more things that we're supposed to lay aside. Vices that don't flow from a life of love that's an imitation to God and are thus not in keeping with the way of Jesus. That's not the new culture that we now are learning here as part of God's new family in Christ. And so here in chapter 5, verses 3 through 14, Paul lists off some more things that we're to get rid of, and he grounds the reason for getting rid of those in our identity as light in the Lord. That's who we are. We should live like it. Here's the way it reads. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. That's verse 3. Let me just clarify a few terms there as we proceed through this section. Uh, he says, but immorality, the word for immorality is pornia in Greek, from which we get our word in English, pornography, and it refers to really any illicit sexual activity, any inappropriate, uh, illicit, immoral sexual activity. So, but immorality, specifically sexual immorality, or impurity just means anything that's unclean or dirty. That's kind of the standard English word is being a dirty person, or that's a dirty movie, or that's a dirty joke, right? That's the idea of impurity, things that are unclean and filthy and dirty. So don't let any impurity be named among you. Or then he throws in greed or covetousness, depending on the translation. It's this idea of greediness. So the first two primarily refer to 
uh, sexual activity, things that are just dirty sexually or immorality, illicit sexual activity, greed, some have suggested, well, maybe in the context because those first two refers to greedy for sex. Ah, I suppose that's possible. But let's just take it in its general sense. Greed, just you just you don't want what other people have. You're not content with what you have in life. Greed, so immorality or impurity or greed must not even be named among you. Right? They shouldn't even be named. They're just not appropriate for God's new family in Christ. So they shouldn't even be mentioned. They shouldn't even be named. Um, and then he ends it with as is proper among the saints. And remember the word saints doesn't refer to super holy dead people who had a statue made out of them. It refers to God's people, the saints. And so the saints, really that word comes from the same root as the word holy, to be set apart. The saints are God's people. They belong to him and they're set apart for him and his purposes. And so immorality, impurity, and greed, those things aren't proper among God's people. That's his point continues in verse 4 and says, And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. And again, three more words that describe really uh, the inappropriate way of life for people who are part of God's family. Filthiness refers to, the first word there, filthiness refers to obscenities. Uh, shameful talking and just kind of dirty jokes, dirty mind leads to dirty talk. That's filthiness. Then he refers to coarse jesting. Coarse jesting really goes together with filthiness, and it refers to kind of the the type of person for, for whom every conversation leads to an off-color joke or an off-color story, and they're just crass, they're just crude, they're just coarse, not proper. Don't talk that way, he says. So get rid of filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting, those kinds of things, which he says are not fitting. They're just not appropriate to God's people. Instead, giving of thanks, um, which that seems sort of random perhaps to us, but when we realize filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting, all refer to, or primarily refer to, the things we say. He says, what, what ought to come out of your mouth is just thanksgiving, that you focus on the things that are beautiful and right and good, and you thank God for those things. And so thanksgiving should characterize the speech of God's people. Thanksgiving. So we are people of giving of thanks. Then he says this, for... That always kind of grounds this. This gives a, a motivation or a reason, verse 5. For this you know with certainty. You can be assured of this, that no immoral or impure or covetous person who's an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of, of Christ and God. Notice immoral, impure, and covetous. Those are the same three words that he started with in verse 3. Immorality, impurity, and greed. Uh, the word for covetous in verse 5 is really the same uh, root word as the word greed. So no immoral, impure, or covetous person. And then he says, who's an idolater? Probably referring primarily to the covetous person, right? That, that person, he's greedy for other things. He's finding his identity, his value, his worth, his meaning, his purpose in things. And he's greedy for all those things. So he's an idolater. He doesn't find his life, his hope, and his identity in God. He finds it in other things. And in that general sense, he's an idolater. So... No immoral, impure, covetous person has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. They, they just don't belong there. That's because God's kingdom leads to a different uh, way of life. It has a different culture, and so they just don't fit in. So he goes on in verse 6 and says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, 
For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So if somebody ever tells you it doesn't matter how you live, oh, that's no big deal, right? Like, oh, that kind of immorality is not, yeah, right? Like anyone who would try to deceive you with empty words, they're, they're liars. They're passing on a deception. Why? Because the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience for these very kinds of things. Um, immorality, impurity, greediness. They attract, they draw out the wrath of God on the sons of disobedience. He used that phrase in chapter 2 to describe people outside of Christ, people who are doing what's wrong. Um, it's their way of life, it's their culture, and it's the kind of things within their culture that attract the wrath of God. Uh, don't be surprised by the phrase wrath of God. We don't talk about it as much in uh, modern Christianity, probably as we ought, but the wrath of God simply refers to not the unpredictable uh, anger of a God who, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen from one day to the next. No, the, the biblical God is just and faithful. So his wrath is always right, it's always just, and it's always faithful and true. So it's not unpredictable. It's not capricious. The wrath of God simply refers to the just repayment of God on wrongdoing. And these sorts of behaviors that are out of sync with the culture of God's kingdom and are part of the culture of the sons of disobedience, they're the kind of things that, that get the just repayment of God. So don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Immorality, impurity, greediness, inappropriate for God's people. So he says in verse 7, therefore, don't be partakers with them. This is what the sons of disobedience do. It's what they're going to experience the wrath of God for. Therefore, don't be partakers with them. In other words, don't participate with them in these things because that's their culture. That's their way of life. It's not our way of life in Christ. We've moved into a new kingdom and a new family, the kingdom of God in Christ. And so we have a different culture. Don't participate with the sons of disobedience in these sorts of things. For, verse 8, you were formerly darkness. That's who you used to be. You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Notice how starkly he states this. He doesn't say you used to be in the darkness and now you're in the light. He says you used to be darkness and now you are light. So that's who God's people are. We, he states it very, very clearly, very, very starkly that we're light. We're light people. And so we've got to live who we are. Walk as children of light. Carry out your life now as not sons of disobedience, but as children of light, as those who are living in keeping with who they are. We are children of light. We are light in the Lord. So live like it. Then in verse 9, he describes... Uh, what light looks like. What does it look like to walk as children of light? What does that entail, at least in general terms, verse 9 tells us? For the fruit of light, here's what light produces. If you're children of light, here's the kind of stuff you're going to be doing. The fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. That's the kind of character traits that light produces, and thus Light people, like us, that's the kind of stuff we do. Goodness refers to benevolence, kind-heartedness, like good deeds. You do good things for people. You help people out. You're known as the kind of person that people can depend on and count on for, for good things. So goodness, righteousness refers to uprightness and integrity, like you just do the right thing. 
people know that you're a person of integrity and that they can count on you to act in an upright sort of way. And then truth, you just live as a, a truthful, honest kind of person, an honest kind of light. So light people produce goodness, righteousness, and truth. Verse 10, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. That's not the best translation there, I don't think, where it says trying to learn. The Greek word is dokimazo, or at least that's the root word from which we have it here, dokimazo. And that root word doesn't so much have to do with learning as has to do with testing and approving. And so when he says trying to learn, I think that kind of confuses the issue here. It's more, more has to do with trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, like testing and approving, right? You, examining, using your critical thinking and reasoning skills to discern what's pleasing to God in a given situation. Because we don't always know. We don't always have a specific statement on that. And so we have to discern um, what is of real value by examining it and kind of thinking it through sometimes and using our critical judgment to discern what's best in a given situation. And so we we are trying to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Verse 11, don't participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness because you're not darkness anymore, you're light. So don't participate in those unfruitful deeds of darkness. Instead, expose them. Um, the idea uh, seems to be that by living as people of light, you shine light in the world and thus by your lightness, you help people see the darkness, right? Like light breaks in and reveals darkness. That seems to be the idea here. And so he's not talking about necessarily exposing them in the sense of always pointing out, people, that's wrong, that's wrong, don't do that. It's not. I, that's not uh, Paul's point. That's never even the way Jesus approached things. It's simply um, as a person and as a community of faith, the way we do life with goodness, righteousness, and truth it makes people realize that, I want that, that's better, that's light, that's good, that's right. And so our way of life uh, reveals the darkness, sheds light on the darkness. He says in verse 12, for it's disgraceful to even speak of the things which are done by them in secret. And hence, that, that even kind of um, suggest that idea of not constantly pointing them out and all that. It's more by our life. We don't have to talk about them. It's, it's not even appropriate to speak about these things. Now, he's not saying that it, it, it's ever wrong to call them out. It's ever wrong to name them. He's just named some of these things. Immorality, impurity, greed, right? He's named them. So he's not talking about that. He's just like, these, aren't, these shouldn't be things that characterize us. These aren't things we revel in. These aren't things that we think are awesome or great or wonderful. I mean, those are disgraceful things. And so he's using this, this description of the kinds of way dark people act and live and do behind closed doors and in secret, in the secrecy of their own home and their own mind, um, you know, at, at nighttime in their own partying and all of that, that stuff, that that's just not appropriate for us to even really talk about amongst ourselves as God's people. Instead, we're to be so filled with light that we don't even want to talk about those things. Our life exposes those things for what they really are. Verse 13, he says, but all things become visible when they're exposed to the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. In other words, light stuff is seen stuff. It's visible stuff. And so, again, our job as light people is just to 
to shed a light, shine a light on what's really good, what's really right, what's really beautiful. That's light stuff and that's visible stuff. And so we need to make sure it's visible. We don't cloister ourselves behind closed doors. We don't ret retire to our own private spirituality. That we, in life, we just do what's good, what's beautiful, what's right, what's true. And that, in a sense, kind of exposes the darkness. And the darkness doesn't necessarily like the light. We see that in the life of Jesus. And so that's how we live. We expose the darkness by living as people of light. Then Paul wraps up this section with a quote, and it's not necessarily quite clear where this quote is from. He says, for this reason, it says, and then the quote, awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. And he introduces it with a very common sort of introduction that makes it makes you think you're going to get like an Old Testament quote. But this isn't an Old Testament quote. You might get things that are sort of like it in Isaiah or some of that, but there's no Old Testament quote like this. And so it's likely this is sort of like an early Christian saying and maybe even part of an early Christian song. Don't know if that's for sure. That's probably too much speculation, but some sort of well-known early Christian saying, awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. And the way the quote works is it's basically speaking to somebody who is not yet a believer. They're dead in their sins. And, and then uh, as they as they arise from the dead, Christ shines on them, and now they are full of his light. And we're keeping this light theme going here. And that's the idea, Christ will shine on you. In other words, he shines his light on you. Now you, you're a light person, you're full of light, and you reflect his light back into the world. That's the, the way the quote works. And again, it's probably a quote from some sort of early Christian saying that was well known, well used, maybe it people's conversion, people's baptism, who knows, something like that. But the idea is that the Ephesians had experienced this work of Jesus, moving them from being dead and coming to life, and therefore um, also moving from um, darkness to light because Christ has shown on them. And so they're now light people, and they're to live as children of light. And not only that, um, they're to live in such a way that the same experience that was true for them will be true for more and more people, that more and more people who don't yet know Jesus and are still in the darkness will experience the light and will come into the light. And they too can experience being uh, risen from the dead in Christ and having Christ shine his light on them. Now, let's just as a way to wrap this up, let's look at a couple implications of this particular section. Just a step back, kind of big picture. Obviously, there's plenty of things for us to apply out of here just walking through it. But let me just point out sort of maybe a few big picture implications. The first is this, self-examination and self-honesty. Most of us kind of get defensive, right, when somebody comes to us with, a message about some things we need to change about ourselves. Most of us could do a better job of welcoming and receiving feedback. And in order to change, we need feedback, right? Like we all have blind spots. We all have flaws that we're not aware of. So when Paul or any of the New Testament authors or any of their maybe spokesmen today in our life says, get rid of 
fill in the blank, whatever it is, in the case of this text, get rid of immorality or impurity or filthy talk, right, or coarse jesting. We need to hear it with an eye to our own life. We need to read these texts not, not with an eye to everyone else's life. Let's re read it first and foremost with an eye to our own life, um, with a soft heart and an open heart that says there's a possibility there might be some of that in me. There's a possibility I need to hear this corrective message, and there's some inappropriate things in me that I need to get rid of. And we we do that not with self-loathing. We don't do that as if we're worthless and hang our head. No, we're light people. We've been loved by the Lord. So we do it in the full strength, knowing that we're fully loved children of God, and yet because we, we know we're fully loved children of God, we want to please our Father. And so we receive this with the strength of, oh, I, I might have some things that need to change and I want to please my Heavenly Father. And so we examine ourselves and we do so with ruthless honesty, not in fear, not in fear of rejection, not in fear of punishment or reprisal, right? We do it with ruthless honesty as God's very own children, as his dearly loved children. We're light in the Lord. Christ has shown his light on us. We, we've been given this brand new identity, one that's rooted in grace and love. So it's safe for us to admit our flaws and our wrongdoing. We're already part of his family, so we can admit that. We're, part of, we're, we're a child of light, so we just admit that. We don't blame shift. We don't minimize, we don't ignore what we need to get rid of and how we need to change. As light people, we walk so securely in the light that whenever the light reveals something in us that's not appropriate to the way of Jesus, we just admit it and we receive grace for it. And we, we decide, I'm going to walk away from that because that's not appropriate for me as a child of light. That's the first implication, self-examination and self-honesty. We need to get really good at that in a spirit of humility and grace. Second implication, I would say, from this text that at a big picture level is helpful to us is just the, the idea of discernment. Discernment. Um, the apostles didn't cover every possible life situation we may encounter. They couldn't have, right? Not even for their own culture and time and place. So they didn't, they couldn't have covered every possible life situation. In fact, even the Old Testament law didn't attempt to cover um, all the things that the Israelites living under the Old Testament, um, you know, would encounter. No law code can cover every possible life situation. They give case laws. Those case laws then become ways of thinking about how we ought to apply the law in other similar situations, right? So what we have to do as God's people is we have to be so steeped in the text of Scripture that with the aid of the Spirit, we can evaluate and discern what's pleasing to God in a given situation. When we encounter a situation where it's not crystal clear, where we have no specific statement of Scripture, of what we should do here, we need to be so steeped in what Scripture has taught that with the aid of the Spirit, we can examine, think things through, and discern what is what is pleasing to God in this situation. We don't use silly excuses like, well, the Bible never says I can't, so, right? Like, we just don't do that. We don't want to see how close we can get to the line of disobedience and sin without crossing it. We want to see how pleasing to God we can be. And so we know that the Bible never intended to function as an encyclopedia for every possible life situation. Um, we know that it intends to form us in the wisdom of God so that we can walk in it in whatever circumstance of life we find ourselves in, which is exactly where Paul goes in the next paragraph in Ephesians.